Father, we're an unholy people who come into the presence of a holy God. And we have nothing that we can bring before you except for our sin, except for our failure, except for our brokenness, except for our guilt, except for our shame. And yet in spite of all of that, you have made a way for us to be able to boldly come into your presence through your son, Jesus Christ. God, that we who once were enemies of you because of our sin, who had turned our backs against you, who were running from you, you pursued us and you've saved us and you've made us your own to the extent that you call us your children and we get to call you father. Father, let the joy of that never escape our hearts. That we get to boldly come into your presence as your children today. And so, Father, we ask right now that you would take your word and that you would use it to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that this message of the gospel, what he's done for us, what he's made possible for us through his life, death, and resurrection, would you let that fall fresh on our hearts one more time today? God, will you take your word? Will you use it to shape us, to mold us, to transform us? Lord, will you use it to edify your church, glorify your name? Speak to our hearts through your word today, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'll invite you to turn with me uh, in your Bible. Gospel of Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be again this morning. If you're here today as our guest, my name is Taylor Burgess. I serve here at Cross as lead pastor. And uh, what we've been doing as a church family for the last several weeks is we've been in Matthew chapter 28, which is known to us as the Great Commission, uh, which is uh, Christ's plan and purpose for his church and his call on the life of every individual follower of Christ and collectively for us uh, as well as a church family. So each week of this message series, we've just been taking uh, one component of that Great Commission and breaking it down a little bit more uh, in depth. So week one, we saw how all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and how in his authority, uh, he's called us to go and make disciples. And so week two, we saw what a disciple is, how we become disciples, how we as the church are called to make disciples. Then the next week, we saw how that's a call to go to the nations. Uh, it begins right here with where we live, but we are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because the local church is a global mission. Then uh, last week, we saw how as people become disciples of Jesus, become followers of Jesus, their very first step of obedience in following Jesus is to publicly profess that faith um, through baptism. And uh, I, church, I, I think we should just celebrate right off the bat this morning. Like last week, we saw uh, several people across both of our worship gatherings profess faith in Christ, and they're going to be baptized uh, here in, in just a little bit. So, uh, so pray, yeah, praise God for that. Uh, absolutely this morning. And so I um, hope you'll stick around for that here in, in just a little bit as we wrap up our time of worship this morning. But man, as exciting as that is, that we see people make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and then publicly declare that faith through baptism, what we're going to find in Matthew chapter 28 this morning is that uh, making a profession of faith and then being baptized, that is not the end of our discipleship journey. That's the beginning. Because in the Great Commission, Jesus doesn't just tell us to go and make disciples and then baptize them. He gives us another instruction, which is to teach them to observe all that he's commanded us to do. And so discipleship is not just about calling people to follow Jesus. It's about walking with them as they follow Jesus, as we uh, work to conform our lives to the word and to the will of God. Uh, a few months ago, I had the opportunity to sit down with a pastor who's in his mid-60s, and what he has uh, committed the rest of his life to is the work of church revitalization. He wants to come alongside churches that are struggling, churches that are dying, and he wants to see them uh, come back to life <clears throat> as they cover the message of the gospel 
and this mission uh, to make disciples of, of all nations. And so uh, he sat down as we were talking. He, was, he said, I'm really encouraged to see uh, that your church has a heavy emphasis on preaching the gospel and on making disciples, of coming alongside people, helping in their spiritual growth. He said, because, you know, for me, that was not always my upbringing within the church. And he went on to share with me how uh, when he was a little bit younger than I was, he was back in his 20s, he was uh, going through seminary and uh, went to a well-known seminary back in the 70s. And um, he said there was a big emphasis at this seminary in fulfilling the Great Commission, but the exclusive focus in fulfilling the Great Commission really had more to do just with evangelism and getting people to make a decision for Christ. So uh, he recounted a story of how a very well-known evangelist came uh, into the seminary once and was training them on the work of, of door-to-door evangelism or old school term, soul winning. Who, who knows that one? Yeah, you've heard that before. And so, um, so they're listening to him, uh, give them this strategy for how to go knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with people, going place to place. And, and, and this pastor shared with me that there was somebody uh, in this course who just raised his hand, asked the question, said, okay, so as we, we go and we share the gospel, we knock on doors, we lead people to follow Jesus. Uh, let's say someone professes faith in Christ. What do we do next? And this is the response that he got. He, he, was, he was told by this leader, said, listen, your responsibility is just to lead people to become followers of Christ. So if they trust in Christ, you trust that God's going to take care of them. You move on to the next house. And that was really it. That there, there was no taking the next step in baptism. There was no uh, coming alongside of them and walking with them as they, they grew and mature as, as followers of, of Jesus Christ. And, and unfortunately, I, I think we, we see 30, 40 years, a lot of the fruits of that lack of discipleship uh, in the church culture across uh, the evangelical landscape in the United States right now. So uh, earlier, uh, just a few weeks ago, LifeWay Facts and Trends released uh, something they do annually. And this year is uh, 20 ministry trends to follow for ministry in the year um, 2020. And there's a number of ways in which this is essentially a state of the union. Just kind of say, hey, uh, where is the, the church in America at today? And, and how are we walking? How are we living as followers of Christ? And, and this is what that survey revealed just a few weeks ago is that you know, we're, we're living in a time where about 65% of our country identifies uh, as being a Christian, but um, that this survey has revealed that only about 45% will, will regularly attend uh, worship and regular attendance even was, was more on like a, a monthly basis, not necessarily a weekly basis. That's down uh, 10% over the last decade. Um, we, we know right now that six in 10 Protestant churches have either plateaued or in decline. Um, last year, uh, more than half of uh, Protestant churches saw less than 10 people come to know Christ and profess faith in Christ through baptism. Um, only 39% of those surveyed said that spiritual matters come up as a normal part of daily conversation. Uh, nearly 40% said they only read the Bible once a week or less. And, and this is the last one that really, really troubled me as I read it. It said that while 75% said they know that they need other believers to help them in their spiritual formation, 65% of those surveyed said they ultimately felt like they could follow Jesus on their own. And, but we, what we've seen here in, in the Great Commission as we've studied it as a church family for the last several weeks is that a disciple is a learner, a student, a follower who knows Christ, is growing in their relationship with Christ and goes on mission for Christ. And for someone to be a learner or a student or a follower, they need an instructor, a leader, or a teacher. We can't carry out the Great Commission in isolation because discipleship requires relationship. And that's why this next component of the Great Commission is so important because it's something Jesus calls us to do that we can't do in isolation by ourselves. And we need to understand as a church, our calling is not just to lead people to make decisions and be baptized, but to walk with them and help them become faithfully obedient to all that God has commanded us in his word. So here's the danger that for, that's an error, I think, for, for us today as we dive into these things. You hear some of those statistics, and like that, that sounds a little bit alarming, and we start wondering, okay, what do we do? How do we respond to that? And here's where our minds could very, very quickly go. 
We start to think, okay, so what we need is we need some more uh, in-depth Bible teaching. We need more classes. We need more uh, small groups. We need more training in, in apologetics. We need more training in biblical worldview, Christian worldview. And all of those things would be great. All of those things are, are great. But we, we've got to see as we're leading with people, walking with them, teaching them to obey all that God has commanded in his word. We need to know that true discipleship is not just about what we learn and what we know. It's about how we live and who we are. So if you're following along in your notes this morning, this is the central truth we're gonna focus on, that the goal of discipleship is not just information. The goal of discipleship is transformation. It's, it's the things that we hear, the things that we learn, the things that we know, moving beyond just knowing them in our heads to believing them in our hearts and living them with our hands. Because learning the gospel is not the same as living the gospel. And until we're living it, we haven't truly learned it. And knowing this next component, having this next component is going to be the difference for us between being a church that makes decisions and a church that makes disciples. And that's our calling is to make disciples. So let me just share something with you right out of the gate this morning. I hope this isn't a, a discouragement to you or disappointing to you. But I was, I was looking over my notes this morning and was, was preparing for things. I just thought to myself, you know, in, in terms of content, this is maybe the simplest sermon I've ever preached in my entire life. Honestly, so if you're, you're showing up this morning and you're just, you need to have your mind blown by something new you've never heard before, like today's probably not your day. Like I'm, I'm just gonna just let you know that right out of the gate. But here is what the challenge is going to be. Is, is as we hear these things that many of us, we have heard, we've heard them ad nauseum hundreds, thousands of times over to be asking ourselves, not just do I know these things? Have I learned these things? Am I living these things? That's what we've got to be asking ourselves. How am I actually doing with obeying all that Christ has commanded me to do? Because just because we've learned it doesn't necessarily mean that we've lived it. But we're not after just information, we're after transformation until we've moved to the place where what we hear is what we believe in our hearts and how we live in our hands. We, we, we don't move from being informed to being transformed. And that's what God is calling us to today. So let's read again from Matthew 28, uh, the Great Commission. Again, we've read it already this morning. We're reading at least a couple of times together every single week. I hope you're memorizing this as we, we walk through this together as a church family in these weeks, because these are, these are Christ's marching orders for us as a church uh, until he returns or we see him face to face. So Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So remember, Christ is, he's authoritative over all. He has authority over all. Everything in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And in that authority, here's what he calls us to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And as we make disciples, here's what we're calling them to do, to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all, everybody say all, all that he has commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the next component we're gonna focus on this morning. So we see first from Matthew 28 this morning, discipleship requires guidance. It requires guidance. The primary command given to us here in Matthew 28 is to make disciples. There's, there's other uh, action verbs that we see of going and baptizing and teaching, but every command that we find uh, here in Matthew 28, everything is instruction that's given is, is either flowing to or flowing from uh, that command to make disciples. So we're going to make disciples. And as we make disciples, we're calling people to be baptized and we teach them to observe all that he's commanded. It's all connected. 
When someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, they're baptized and then they're taught. And this is important because the New Testament has absolutely no context or framework for someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus, uh, but is not baptized or taught. So this is something that we have to be doing together in community. We need each other to be able to carry out and accomplish this work. Because just think about this with me for just a moment. We saw this a few weeks back, how the primary call to follow Jesus, this is the way Jesus invited people to follow him. Remember, what did he say? He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, what do you have to do? Deny yourself and what else? Take up your cross, follow me. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Worst sales pitch of all time, right? Like that is, if Jesus could have just had some training, you know, in 21st century marketing strategies, he would have known you can't say things like that if you want to build a big crowd, but that's what he called people to. And so that, that means that's how we need to be calling people to follow Jesus is just the same way that he extended that call. But, but church, think about this for a second. If we're going to be a people who call people the way Jesus called them to deny themselves, take up their crosses and follow them, man, I just, I believe it is cruel and unusual punishment to challenge someone to answer that call to follow Jesus and then not go with them because it requires so much of us. We surrender all of ourselves to follow Jesus. This is something we do together in community. And the primary way we're called to shepherd and walk with one another is through the teaching of God's word. There's a really powerful example of this in Mark chapter six, where Jesus and his disciples have been very, very busy with ministry. And so they barely had time to eat or to rest or to sit down and have any sort of time for themselves whatsoever. And so as they're trying to get away from the demands of the ministry, Jesus is trying to pull them away so they can find time to rest. But there's a big crowd that's still attracted to Jesus and is trying to find their way to them. And so this is how it unfolds in Mark 6, 32 through 34. It says, they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. You really dig into the language of what's going on there, that word compassion. Jesus was was literally torn up in his gut about what he saw. He's troubled in his soul. Matthew's gospel says that he he saw this crowd, and they they were harassed and helpless. They they were vulnerable. They they were scared. They were uncertain. These people had been beaten down by the ridiculous, absurd demands of a broken and corrupt religious system. And and so it says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever seen a group of sheep without a shepherd? How much do you know about sheep? Are they smart animals? Not really. They can't see really well. I mean, literally, like you leave a sheep unattended, the, the thing, it'll just walk off the side of a cliff. Right? I mean, just, just absolutely no direction needs the direction of a shepherd. And so how does Jesus shepherd them? And he began to teach them many things. And this is our calling as, as the church, as we look out on a world that, that's harassed and helpless, a world that's overwhelmed, a world that's afraid, a world that's desperate and searching for answers. The call of the church is that we be people, our hearts break over this. We're grieved over this. We have compassion over this. We feel it in our gut. We're troubled in our soul. And we gather them in. We call them to become disciples of Jesus. And then we nurture and and shepherd that faith through the teaching of his word. So discipleship requires guidance. But it's not just teaching in a generic sense. Jesus says, teach them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. So discipleship requires guidance. And second, discipleship requires obedience. Not just teaching in a generic sense, but teaching to obey. 
True gospel transformation is not proven just through what we're learning, but how we're living. Has what we've heard, has what we've learned, have the things that we know, have they made the journey from our heads to believing in our hearts and our living with our hands? Because if what we're learning doesn't impact how we're living, then we haven't truly learned. But we've not truly come to understand that the word of God. And so church, this is just a, a key distinction that I think we really need to make this morning, particularly just uh, the cultural context we live in. Man, many of us, we, we grew up in the church and, and right, like some of you ever since little kids, we grew up, we did the whole Sunday school. Like who did like the flannel graph thing in Sunday school? Who remembers that? Like, wait, yeah. And, and so you, you've heard all of the stories and, and you've heard all the sermons, you've read all the books, you've been to all the conferences and the seminars. And, and, and so there's just this, this easy drift that we can get into where we hear very, very familiar things and so it just starts to pass through one ear and out the other. But there's a key distinction we need to draw this morning, and it's this. Just because we are informed does not mean we have been transformed. We're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. And, and for many of us, this is what I fear happens is, is, again, we've been in the church our whole life. We've, we've heard it all. We've seen it all. There's, there's really nothing we feel like we can learn. And so, so I fear what happens is because we get in this place where it's like, well, I'm, I'm growing in my faith. I'm mature. I need something deeper. I need something that challenges me. What, what happens is, I think some of you think what you need for every single week is for me to get up here and be Professor Taylor and teach you the New Testament in Greek. But uh, the, the reality is most of us don't even share the gospel in English. I mean, so, so is that what we really need is to learn something new and to go deeper or to become obedient with the things that we already know? This is what Jesus is calling us to, teach them to obey, to observe all that I've commanded you. This is how James says a key distinction here. He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It's self-deception when we hear the word, but we don't do the word. And, and this is what happens, I think, a lot of times in our brains is we equate our knowing the word with being obedient to the word, and they're not one and the same. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So just look at this picture. Just imagine you're, you're staring at a mirror and you're, you're looking at every single feature. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Last Sunday was a really crazy day for our church family. We had our two morning worship gatherings and in between the services, we did a thing called uh, Cross Connect where we were just trying to connect with a number of new families in our church and, and help them uh, get more connected within our church family. And then I had to rush out of here um, following services because we had an afternoon membership meeting. And so uh, we, we did that, had dinner with that group. And then I rushed home 20 minutes late because we were having company in our house for the Super Bowl. And I was in trouble because I wasn't supposed to, I wasn't home when I was supposed to be. And so uh, we watched the game together with, with our friends and then um, I stayed up a little bit late. I'm not a night person, but I was just kind of wired from the day and I'm watching the post-game stuff. And so I usually wake up most Monday mornings feeling like I got hit by a bus as it is, uh, but I especially felt it last Sunday. And so I wake up and uh, pour the cup of coffee Monday morning and I get out my Bible and uh, there's about 300 of us across the board, our church family working through a, a Bible reading plan this year uh, as a church family. And so I, I got into my reading plan, took 15, 20 minutes and, and did my reading for the day and closed my Bible up. Didn't remember a single word that I had just read. Anybody else been there before? Like you've, you've read the Bible, maybe even like 20, 30, 40 minutes, or you, you've heard a sermon or something. And it's, what do we do? Like we hear the message and we're like, we're in it, we're with it. As soon as we hit the parking lot, what happens, man? That phone comes out. And then, then we're scrolling and then there's distraction and there's our next activity for the day and busyness that, that pulls us away from these things. This is what James is talking about. 
that it's so easy to be a hearer of the word, to be a reader of the word, to be a listener of the word and not a doer of the word. James goes on to warn a little bit later in his letter. He says, listen, faith without works is dead. It's not true faith. And that's an extreme. He, he cautions us to avoid, is to be people who know it in our heads, but don't believe it in our hearts and don't live it with our hands. So that's one extreme is faith without works. We need to avoid this as followers of Jesus. But there's another extreme that we're called in scripture to avoid, and that's works without faith. This is what Jesus uh, cautions us with in Matthew chapter seven. If you wanna turn with me in your Bible, uh, Matthew seven, we're gonna read here verses 21 through 23. And church, listen, this is a passage of scripture. Whenever it's, it's appropriate to the text we're in in a given morning, I really try to come back to this three to four times with our church family every single year. Because the, the caution that's given here by Jesus, the warning that's given here by Jesus, it's, it's so important for us to understand that our works are not enough. Even the very best of our works are not enough. And this is what Jesus warns us against in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says it will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church, this is such a solemn warning for us given here by Jesus. Again, it's, it's, it's one thing to be on the extreme of faith without works. The problem here, Jesus says, was not a faith without works. The problem here is a group whose faith was in their works. And this can so easily happen that we start to put our faith in our church attendance. We start to put our faith in our Bible reading. We start to put our faith in our praying and in our giving and in going on, on mission trips and on getting engaged in the community. And we, we start to equate, uh, equate our activity with our identity and they're not always one and the same. And Jesus just warns us here, it's not enough just to have the good works. I mean, seriously, it's like, how many of us have cast out any demons in this room? Like that's a pretty impressive resume, right? And, and Jesus is saying it's not enough. It's not enough. You cannot put your faith in your works. So James 1 warns us, be hearers, uh, not just hearers, but doers. And Matthew 7 warns this group, they were doers, but they weren't really hearers. And so we, we've got to avoid both of these extremes. And this is the warning that we find here from Jesus in Matthew 7 church. That I think we need to pay very close attention to is that hell is going to be full of people who were informed, but not transformed who knew the right answers, who checked all the right boxes, who did, quote unquote, all of the right things, but never finished, rested in the finished perfect work of Jesus Christ, who had a faith without works or works without faith. So we don't just teach for information demonstrated by knowledge, we teach for transformation demonstrated by obedience. And specifically, Jesus calls us, how much is he calling us to teach? Teach them to observe how much of what he's commanded? All. Now, how much is that? Now, I don't know about you, like my Bible, like I got a big Bible, right? Pastor, big Bible. Yeah, <laughs> things thick as it should be, sturdy. This is, my, my, my Bible's full. Like I think your Bible's probably about the same. Like this is full of commands, right? Like teach all of it. 
I mean, by all, you mean all, teach them to observe all, to obey all that we, we've, we've, that's been commanded to us here. And, and what does Jesus mean by this? This is really important for us because uh, there, there's kind of this cultural movement right now, even a little bit within the church where um, what, what many think that to mean is that Jesus just means like the red letters of the gospel accounts. And just, just teach others to obey the things that Jesus specifically said. But here's what we've got to understand about Jesus is when he was here living on earth, he fully upheld the authority of the Old Testament as well. And more than that, uh, the New Testament writers, the apostles, they were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as God was revealing truth to them. And as we, we saw last week, when we baptize people to become followers of Jesus, whose name do we baptize them? In the name of who? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're, we're baptizing them in, into the, the triune Godhead. And so Jesus is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. They're equal with authority, which means that their words carry equal weight and authority. So Jesus fully affirmed the words of the Old Testament prophets. He upheld them. He affirmed, upheld the words of the law. And, and he shows, we see here in, in his word in just a second, that, that he affirms and upholds the writing of the New Testament apostles as well. Because here's, here's what happens a lot of times right now in our culture, is, is we take something that was written, for example, by one of the other apostles who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, something that maybe John wrote or James wrote or Jude wrote uh, or, or Paul or Peter. And, and, and if we don't like what they had to say, what, what we'll do is we'll push back and say, well, Jesus didn't say that, Paul said that. Jesus didn't say that, Peter said that. Jesus didn't say that, John said that. And we'll, we'll say basically, hey, that was the words of those people, so they don't carry as much weight and authority as the words of Jesus. So this typically happens in, in really sensitive subjects when it comes to things like sexuality and gender roles and leadership structure within the church as we'll pit the words of Jesus against the words of the apostles. But we can't do that because as we're gonna see here in a second, the words of the apostles are the words of Jesus. And here's how he holds this up. This is what we find in John 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples before he goes to the cross, and this is what he promises them is going to happen. Verse 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the words that you hear, the word that you hear is not mine, but my father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Now pay attention. This is critical here in verse 26, but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. So again, just see the picture here. This is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working about to bring forth the word of God, who I will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Which means when Paul's writing, when Peter's writing, when John's writing, when James writing, when Jude is writing, they are writing things that at some point in time were taught to them by Jesus or revealed to the Holy Spirit. So, so when Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, he means like your whole Bible. That there's certainly what we see, we, we don't have time to dive into it this morning. There's, there's cultural laws that apply just to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament that the Apostle Paul is clear, we're no longer bound to those cultural laws. But, but in terms of what we find here in the New Testament, this is all to be upheld as inspired, authoritative word of God. And, and man, that's just a gargantuan task, right? Trying to teach all that he has commanded us, trying to obey all that he's commanded us. And that's why that promise we find there in John 14 is so important. This is my favorite name given to us in scripture for the Holy Spirit is that he is our helper, capital H. You know why that's good news? Because you and I can't do all that on our own. The reason Jesus came, he came in response to a checklist religious culture of people who thought they could just check all the right boxes and be right with God. And he came to blow all that up. But this is the reality of our sin. This is the reality of our brokenness is that none of us can uphold any of these things on our own. 
None of us can be perfectly obedient to the word of God on our own. But praise God, church, God's word has never commanded what his spirit will not provide. If he's calling us to obey, it's because he's also going to empower us by his very presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to faithfully walk in obedience to all he's commanded us to do. Church, understand God has not set you up for failure. He has not commanded you to do something that, that, that is just gonna lead to your destruction. He has given us the promise of the Holy Spirit so that we can live faithfully obedient to everything he's called us to do. We can't do this on our own. Yes, discipleship requires guidance. We have to teach. Yes, discipleship requires obedience. We're teaching to obey all that he's commanded. But third, and probably most importantly this morning, discipleship requires his presence. We can't do it on our own. Let me make a promise to you this morning. If you, many, this, this may be true for, for many of in this room, that you, you potentially at some point in time in your life, you, you feel called to, to teach the word of God, to preach the word of God. But let me promise you this morning something. And if you don't believe me, come, come check out my email inbox every once in a while. And I promise you this will be true. If you commit your life to teaching all that God has commanded from his word, you will face opposition. Guaranteed. 100%. Doing this for, for 15 years on a weekly basis, 100% guaranteed, you will face opposition. If you're striving to be obedient to all that he's commanded, guess what? You're gonna face opposition, guaranteed 100%. This world's gonna think you're crazy. We're, we're walking right side up in an upside down world and people are gonna think you're nuts. You're gonna be ostracized for it. You're gonna made fun of it. You're gonna made fun of for it. You're gonna be belittled for it. If we, we strive to do faithfully everything he's called us to do, we are going to face opposition, but he doesn't send us to face the opposition on our own. The promise here in Matthew 28 is this, I am with you for how long? Always to the end of the age. In every single trial, in every single temptation, church, in every single failure, he is with you always to the end of the age. And that's good news for us today because we can't do this on our own. We're, we're gonna spend a whole week on that verse here in just a couple of weeks. But I wanted to land there this morning because here's what I'm worried is, is gonna happen. Is again, if, if you're like me and you're just, just kind of like a pragmatic type A doer, like you just, you just want the list. Hey, just tell me the things that I need to do. What's the list? How to, what works do I need to start doing? This is work and priority number one. It's this, you ready? Rest in the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ. And this is the irony of what happens when we do this is that when we rest from all of our religious striving, all of our vain efforts and attempts to get to God on our own, this is the irony of the gospel. When we rest in the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ, we find the strength and the energy we need to faithfully do all the works he's called us to do. We no longer do these things out of begrudging submission or obligation just to a list of duties and commands. They become our delight because we've not just been informed, we've been transformed that means I've got a new heart. That means I've got a new soul. I've got a new mind. I've got new desires. And it's now my joy to enthusiastically do everything that Jesus has called me and commanded me to do in his word. So, so we, we started to wrap this up this morning. Here, here's what I want us to do. I want to give us three questions just for reflection and, uh, and application. So we've seen uh, that discipleship requires guidance, it requires obedience, and it requires his presence. And so uh, just to correspond with each one of those things, we're going to ask one question uh, that is both for our personal reflection and our application today. So discipleship requires guidance. So the first question I want us to ask this morning is this, how am I learning? 
Again, no, no, no mind-blowing new, new content here this morning, but, but just be asking yourself, how are you learning and growing in the Word of God? And listen, I, I try to lead out in this as, as best as I possibly can, not just with my, my personal time with the Lord, but uh, every single year at the beginning of the year, I commit to sitting under someone else. So, so again, like I, you don't you like become a pastor and suddenly you graduate from a discipleship program. We are lifelong learners of Jesus Christ, amen? Like we're called to do this from, from start to finish until, until we see Jesus face to face. Our work here isn't complete. And so uh, like right now I'm, I'm in a, a preaching cohort with a guy named Tony Morita up in uh, North Carolina. Monthly, we just, we get together and we're just learning uh, about, about preaching God's word, teaching God's word together in community. Part of another small network of, of pastors were kind of scattered all over the, the U.S. And so we do a, a monthly video call. We've got a coach who's in Tennessee and he's uh, just challenging us in areas of personal growth and areas uh, for our church and just uh, helping us take step by step. These are people who've, who've been down the road of church planting a little bit further than us and they're helping us continually uh, along our journey with, with this. And so uh, I believe that regardless of how old you are, whether you've been following Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, we need to have the humility to sit under someone else's authority and teaching and continue to learn uh, what it means to become faithful followers of Christ. Because here's the reality. Even if you do like, again, what many in our church are doing right now, you're reading through the Bible start to finish this year. That's awesome. I hope you complete the goal. Please understand you've not even scratched 0.00001% of the surface. Like we've not even begun to learn. And there's, there is no graduation from understanding the word of God as we are in this life. So just be asking that question this year. How are you learning? How are you learning God's word? How are you submitting yourself to the, to the teaching of God's word? We've said as a church family, this is a year of, of foundation. So again, about uh, 275, 300-ish people, I think, are uh, doing, the new or the, doing the whole Bible reading plan this year. That's part of doing the catechism on Sunday mornings. It's just basic questions and answers to help you establish uh, strong doctrinal and theological foundations. Um, we, we've just been in this series of the Great Commission, just looking very basically, what does it mean to be a disciple who makes disciples? Because that's the call uh, of the church. And, and again, there's certainly deeper things we could go on to, but it's like, man, if we're not being faithful to the most obedient or to the most basic thing that Jesus has called us to do, then what business do we have diving into things that are deeper? We need to focus, I think, still on Christianity 101 in a lot of different ways. So how are we learning? How are we learning as, as we grow as followers of Christ? If you're a reader, uh, a few uh, basic resources. Again, you're a brand new believer and you're like, hey, I just want a, want a good uh, overview. What does it look like to just be a follower of Jesus? So great uh, starting point, easily accessible, but challenging book by Francis Chan called Crazy Love, I, I think is a great uh, starting point for uh, becoming a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ and you've been a little bit stagnant in, in your spiritual journey and your growth, uh, one of David Platt's books, like Radical, Follow Me, uh, that's, that's like the energy shot. If you've not read Platt's books, Good luck as you do that. You, you will be challenged, I promise. If you, uh, you're, you're really just interested in being challenged and understanding the, the basic core doctrines and beliefs of the Christian faith, John Stott has a timeless book. It's over 50 years old now called Basic Christianity that walks in a very accessible way just through the basic beliefs. How are you learning? How are you learning? Discipleship requires guidance and we need to be lifelong learners of who Jesus is. Second question is how am I living so discipleship requires guidance, but also requires obedience. So very simply asking the question, how am I living? And so here's a really simple question I want to leave you with this morning. And it's this, what is a truth that you believe and that you know, but do not currently live? Because that needs to be the starting point today. It's becoming obedient to the things that we already know. And so, so again, if I got up here this morning and I just made a statement about how we as followers of Jesus, like, hey, we should probably consistently read the Bible. No one in this room, even if you've never been to church before in your life, no one in this room is going, what? Seriously? I've been missing that all along. 
had no idea that that was important. Like that's not gonna be new to, to pretty much anybody in this room, but I just want us to ask, be honest, like how, how's that going? How's it going? Like, we know that we need to be doing this, but have you, have you just submitted yourself to just daily being in the word of God, to being in prayer? Just going before the Lord, going before his word, going to him in, in prayer. How are we doing just in the basic spiritual disciplines? Then I could get up and I could preach a whole sermon about the need to serve within the local church. We know this. We know this is important. We know that everybody's gifted to do something. We know that everybody should participate in the building up of the body of Christ. But it's a simple question, like, how's that going for you? Are you actually engaged in, in serving? Are you volunteering across the board? Are you just content to just kind of show up and be here every single week? Uh, something simple and, and basic again, we, we, we don't make a big fuss out of this as a church family. Like we don't pass offering plates and stuff like that. That's just a personal conviction. But, but God's word is, is abundantly clear on this, that we're supposed to use uh, our financial resources for the building up of the local church and the advance of the gospel of the nation. So, so how are you doing in that? Like you might know that in your head. Is that something you've really believed in your heart? Are you living that with, with your hands? Are we faithfully, generously, sacrificially giving of our financial resources to build up the local church and advance the gospel? You know, this, uh, a couple of weeks ago, our staff got together and we were having a conversation about how to incorporate some of the spiritual disciplines into the weekly rhythms uh, of our staff culture. And, and so we all just kind of came to the realization, none of us were really doing a good job of fasting. Like, and by not doing a good job, I mean, five out of six of us were not fasting. Uh, Dustin was fasting. He's super holy. So if you want to talk to Dustin about that, uh, he'll, he'll be glad to, to help you out. But we just, we just realized like, man, Jesus talks about fasting as he just sort of assumes that it'll happen. You, you look in the gospel of Matthew and Jesus just teaches in rapid succession, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. He just assumes like, hey, these things will happen. Like we shouldn't have to be coerced into doing them. And so it just, just assumes that. And so we just said as a staff, you know, Mondays we're uh, trying together already just to sit down and have lunch together every week. We said, hey, what if one Monday a month, instead of eating, uh, we're gonna fast, we're just gonna pray together for our church family. So, so what is the truth that you know? What is the thing that you know? Again, it's not gonna be mind-blowing if someone says we need to do this, but maybe we're not actually living it because we can't truly say that we've learned a truth until we're living that truth. How am I learning? How am I living? And third question I wanna ask is, how is Christ leading? Discipleship requires guidance and obedience in his presence. He's promised to be with you always to the end of the age. And so I just want to ask you this question. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to use this to springboard to where we're going two weeks from now. Where's Christ leading you? The Lord willing, just a couple of weeks, we'll wrap up this message series. And, and there's, I think, going to be a big question mark now. Okay, what's next? But we've studied this now for, for several weeks. This is God's plan and purpose for his church. Every single follower of Christ is called to be a disciple who is making disciples. How are you going to be engaged in that work? Where's the Lord leading you? For some of us, this is gonna be just as simple as making disciples in our own homes. You know, uh, yesterday um, afternoon, um, we, we kind of had a milestone in, in our family. We've, we've been uh, getting close to this. And honestly, we should have done it several months ago, but uh, this is for our third kid. And so we're just lazy at this point and have been dragging our feet a little bit. But Lincoln, who's our youngest, he'll be three here in a few weeks. He officially graduated from the crib uh, into his big boy bed yesterday. Uh, yesterday. And so we've uh, just slowly, you know, just kind of made that transition. And, um, and so, so we, 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 yesterday we, we made that move with him and, and we're excited about that. And he's excited about that. We moved the two big boys into bunk beds and they're excited about that. And, and it was just so much change you know, that was happening in both their rooms. And, and Emily's all excited about it. I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of had a moment. I was, I was really, really struggling because it felt like just yesterday, man, I'm putting that crib together for Gideon, who's, who's our oldest, who's going to be eight at the end of this year. And I'm like, man, are we really, we're already here? Like we're, I, just, I just blinked and suddenly like my, you know, the, the, the almost three-year-old, he's like a, like a full-blown grown-up now that cries a lot. And I'm just like, man, like what, how are we already here? And, and so the Lord really just 
what was just pressing to my heart. And I feel emotionally vulnerable in the moment. And Lincoln's up there in the room with me. And, and I was just praying kind of as I was taking this crib apart. Because number one, we're excited that's going to go to some friends who are fostering. But, but second, I was just really challenged by something. I'm just realizing like, man, time's not slowing down, is it? It's, it's only speeding up. It's only going faster. And, and so I just, I just really made a renewed commitment before the Lord that over these next 15 or so years that I've got from our oldest all the way down to our youngest before they leave our home. So, you know, my goal these next 15 years is not to lead 3,000 people to Jesus Christ through Cross Community Church, although that would be awesome. That's not my primary goal. I said, my primary goal for these next 15 years is to lead three boys to Jesus Christ. Named Gideon and Nolan Lincoln. To see them become disciples and then to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to teach them to observe all that he's commanded them and to trust in the promise that he will be with them until the end of the age. That's my goal in ministry is to lead those three boys to Jesus. And I hope that's your goal for your family. I hope that's your goal within your marriage. I hope that's your goal with your children is to make disciples right there in your home. Second is, is potentially how will you make disciples within the church? It could start in your home, but it could also be right here in our, in our local church. You know, there's, uh, if you, even if you don't physically have children, all of us have a responsibility to be spiritual mothers and fathers to the next generation. And, and right, right within our own church family, from our, our kids' ministry to our student ministry, Lord willing, but we'll have a full-time youth minister here in just a few weeks. We've landed on a, on a final candidate there. And, and so we're, we're getting closer there, but there's so many opportunities where we partner with ministries like the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and, and Young Life here locally. And listen, this is what I promise. If you, you go have a conversation with Leandra, who's ever our kids' ministry, or uh, with anyone who's done student ministry for a long time, you talk to Wayne with FCA, you talk to Andrew with Young Life, here's what I guarantee you none of them will say. I guarantee you that none of them will say, you know what we're really suffering for? Having too many people who want to pour into the lives of our kids. None of them will say this. The church, what does it say about the church culture today when we're not even discipling our own children? What business do we have going out to the ends of the earth if we're not making disciples in our own home and in our own church? But beyond that, man, it, it might mean uh, something as simple as taking out a step and, and leading a, a community group as well. If you're not, not everybody's called to, to work with kids. Like I, I go visit our kids ministry uh, on Sundays, I'm not preaching. And it's always like a, a four or five time a year reminder. Like I'm not called to kids ministry, right? I mean, I love those people. Like that's a unique, special heart and, 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 and praise God. I just don't have the patience for it, right? That's how to get a student ministry. I got to make sure I have energy for my own kids, right? And, and, and so not everybody's called to that, but man, maybe it's just within our, like our community group environment. This is the primary way that we want to do pastoral care and the shepherding of, of our people. And so just throw a scenario out. I don't know, maybe there's a group where like seven of you are fully capable of being leaders, and, and, but you don't want to start a group because you like your group and it's uh, too dangerous to go out and start a new group. And you're scared of what that might look like to start a new group. And you like your group and you don't want a new group. I don't know, I'm just throwing things out there this morning. And, and if you're, you're led uh, to potentially say, hey, maybe now it's my responsibility to not just show up and listen every week, but to come alongside someone else, to, to now step out and lead a group. Man, I've been following Jesus for 20, 30 years. I know the word pretty well. Maybe it's time for me to become obedient to make disciples within the local church and praise God for that. And so, so just be asking yourself, how is God leading you to make disciples within the local church? But last, I think this is for more of a select group this morning, is, is how will you make disciples of all nations? Because here's what I know to be true this morning. You know, every one of us as followers of Jesus, we're called to ministry in some capacity. We're all called to minister and to serve within the local church, but there's a very distinct group and a very unique group within the local church who the Lord burdens them to devote the entirety of their life to serving and building up the local church or taking the gospel to the nations. 
And so two weeks from now, I already want this on your radar. We're going to have a very special type of invitation that morning. It's one, something we, we've never done before as a church family. Certainly going to be an opportunity for people to, to respond to the gospel, to believe in Jesus. But for others who have responded to the gospel and believe in Jesus, who may be feeling prompted that I want to devote my life to full-time ministry within the local church or taking the gospel to the nations, we want to give you an opportunity that, that day to publicly proclaim that in this church family so that we can come alongside you and we can encourage you and we can walk with you as you pursue God's calling in your life and celebrate the direction that he's calling you to go. Because he is calling us to go. He's calling all of us to go. But discipleship is not a call to find new principles. Discipleship is not a call to finish a program. Discipleship is a call to follow a person. And as daunting as that task of teaching and obeying all that he has commanded sounds, the one who also commands us to do these things has promised us this at Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, this is his invitation. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. Does anybody here, you're, you've been laboring? Just been a, a lifelong journey of just religious work. Is anybody just tired of, of the rat race of performance-based religion? Jesus says this invitation is for you. Come to me all who labor are heavy laden. You've been beaten down just by the legalistic overbearing demands of the religious culture. Jesus says, come to me. You're beaten down by your desire to match up and to work for him and to check all the right boxes and you're just struggling because you keep failing and you can't do it. Jesus says, come to me. And what's the promise? I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The reason he can call us to obey all that he's commanded us to do is because he's already obeyed it for us. And we get to respond to him. We're given this free gift of salvation by putting our faith in the perfect performance and finished work of Jesus Christ. And again, here is the irony of the gospel is that when we find rest from all of our religious working, when we rest in the perfect finished work of Jesus Christ, we find the fuel and the energy and the strength that we need to do all that he has commanded us to do. And we don't do it begrudgingly out of duty. We do it with joy out of delight and love for our Savior. So Father, as we, we close this morning, as we just take these things into consideration, Lord, we, we, we ask you to search our hearts and to examine us and help us to see maybe a truth that we've known but have not yet taken a step to obey. So Lord, would you help us just to, to search our hearts? Would you, Holy Spirit, search our hearts, search our minds, illuminate these things to us, bring us to a place of understanding of what you're calling us to do and who you're calling us to be.